The following events were written in the book of Acts. The last time Jesus was with the disciples before he ascended into heaven, he told them to stay in Jerusalem to wait for God's promise, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. They knew what it was to be baptized with water. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit was a mystery. They had never seen that done. They didn't know what to expect. Jesus told them it would happen in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the big city. It was the important city. Many people lived there. The Pharisees and Sadducees would be there. If they were not completely blind, they would see a miracle that would impact the whole city. The disciples didn't know it yet, but the baptism in the Holy Spirit would happen on the day of Pentecost. Devout Jews from miles around would be there, including people from other parts of the Roman Empire. Pentecost was a Jewish feast holiday 50 days after the Passover. In the Old Testament, that holiday was known as the Feast of Weeks. It was celebrated with the first cutting of the harvest, according to Exodus 34.22. This Pentecost year, the Holy Spirit of God would harvest souls. The Holy Spirit would fill the disciples and others who were praying in the upper room of a big house. 120 people were in that room. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out and told people about Jesus. Jerusalem was filled with Jews from other territories who had come to celebrate the Pentecost feast days. Those diverse people spoke different languages from the lands where they lived. The Holy Spirit spoke through the followers of Jesus in the languages of the people being spoken to. The people who followed Jesus spoke in tongues they did not know, but tongues that were known by the people they spoke to. Thousands of people on that day came to know Jesus. In the days leading up to the Pentecost miracle, Jesus tells the disciples to gather in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. The disciples thought they were living in the end times. Jesus had risen from the dead. They would soon be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were ready for action. They were ready for the kingdom of Jesus to come forth and, by the way, to conquer Rome and to demote the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they asked Jesus, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus told them the details of the restoration of the kingdom were not something they needed to be concerned about. Jesus then went on to tell them that they were going to receive the, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit of God. They would then go forth, not just to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but to all the world in the name of Jesus and spread the good news of the kingdom of Jesus, the King of Kings. The Bible tells us six different times when someone goes up to heaven while standing alive on earth. The first one was Enoch. In Genesis 5, 18-24, Enoch was the son of Jared, who lived 962 years. Enoch was also the father of Methuselah, 
who lived 969 years. Enoch only lived 365 years on this earth, but he didn't die. Genesis 5.24 tells us Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Then there was Elijah. 2 Kings 2.11 tells us he went up to heaven in a chariot of fire with horses of fire, and he went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Then there was Jesus, the Son of God. Mark and Luke and John wrote about Jesus ascending into heaven. Luke wrote about it happening in the last chapter of Luke and the first chapter of Acts. Looking at the context of both accounts written by Luke, we see that he is writing about two different events. The first ascension Luke wrote about was apparently within 24 hours after Jesus' resurrection. The ascension recorded in Acts was after Jesus had been on earth for 40 days after the resurrection. John wrote in John 20, verse 17, that Jesus told Mary Magdalene not to cling to him because he had not yet ascended, and to tell the disciples he was going to ascend to the Father. Jesus told her the this outside the tomb the morning he was resurrected. It is apparent that Jesus was going to ascend right away before he came back and appeared to the disciples. This was the morning before the evening that Luke wrote about and the first ascension he wrote about. When Luke wrote about the other ascension after 40 days, Jesus had gone up and come back at least twice, and now he was leaving again. In Mark 16, 19, it appears Mark is telling about the same ascension that Luke wrote about in Acts. So Enoch ascended into heaven. Elijah ascended into, ascended into heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven at least three times, as recorded by Luke and John, assuming the event Mark wrote about was also recorded in Luke. So where does the Bible tell us about another ascension? It is 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This verse says we will meet him in the air. I say we because that this does include those of us who are believers, even though it may happen after our days on earth have ended. The verse says the dead in Christ will rise first, then the living Christians who remain will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air. In this verse, Paul writes, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, them referring here to the dead in Christ. The wording here shows that Paul identifies with we who are alive and remain. In other words, Paul believed he would still be alive when the rapture happened. He believed he was living close to the end times. The event described here is not the time when Jesus comes back for his reign on earth for a thousand years. 
that happens after the rapture and after the seven years of tribulation. In the rapture, Jesus has us meet him in the air, not on the ground. After the tribulation, Jesus comes down to earth as the conquering hero. He will reign as king of, king of kings for a thousand years, while Satan is locked up in chains in the abyss for that thousand years. Then Satan will be loosed for a short time to deceive those who will join him in rebelling against Jesus. Short battle, Satan loses and gets thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. All of that is in the 20th chapter of Revelation. When Jesus ascended in Acts, his followers were standing there looking up into the sky, and even after he was gone from sight. Then two men in white clothes suddenly appeared and stood by them. They said, Who are you? Why are you still looking up in the sky? This same Jesus will come back in the same way you saw him leave. If they said anything after that, it's not recorded in Acts. But they might have said, or at least implied, he's not coming back today. The Bible doesn't say much about these guys, except that they were dressed in white. Maybe, maybe they were angels, though in this verse they are called men. Or maybe they were Enoch and Elijah. Those guys never died. And direct ascension was how they got to heaven in the first place. Maybe on this occasion they were coming down as Jesus was going up, and no one noticed because they were busy looking at Jesus. Maybe these guys waited until the crowd dispersed before they descended, ascended back to heaven. After Jesus' ascension, written about in Acts, the Holy Spirit fills the believers and the history of the church begins. Through the years, including the New in the New Testament, many of the followers of Jesus have believed he is coming back soon. All of the believers will see him as soon as they leave this earth. The last days for an individual may be sooner than the last days for the earth. My last days on this earth are up as soon as I die, unless I live until the rapture and then eternal life with Jesus. We looked at how miracles were being done by the Holy Spirit in the new church, and people were joining the church by the thousands, and the apostles were telling them about Jesus, raised from the dead, and gone on to heaven, yet working in the church through the Holy Spirit, directing the Holy Spirit, who was directing the apostles. In John 14, 26, Jesus said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. In John 16, 7, Jesus said, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send it to you. In verses 13 through 15, Jesus said, But when he the Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, 
and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said, he will take of mine and disclose it to you. So the Holy Spirit is at work in the church starting back then, and still at work in today's church in the name of Jesus. In those days, people were being healed and coming to Jesus, and the church was growing. They were meeting at the portico of Solomon, according to Acts 3.11. That was a colonnade running the length of the east side of the outer court of the temple, according to the commentary of my Bible. Women and strangers weren't allowed in the inner courts of the temple. So these things were happening on the porch of the temple, which was open to everyone. And this was where the church was meeting and growing. The temple high priest and the other men in charge of the temple were Sadducees. They were greatly disturbed by these events. The apostles were on their property as they saw it, preaching about the resurrected Jesus. The Sadducees didn't believe in life after death. They believed in God. They didn't believe in anything after life on this earth. So they were heavily invested in living the good life in the here and now, including all the good material things and high status they believed they were entitled to as religious leaders and community leaders. So here were these apostles preaching about Jesus. People were turning away from the authority of the temple leaders and turning to the Son of God. As they had done before, they laid hands on the apostles and put them in jail. The jail had guards posted outside the locked doors of the prison. In Acts 5:19 and 20, it says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. Taking them out, he said, Go. Stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. The Bible doesn't say how the angel opened the gates of the prison. Maybe angels don't need keys, or maybe they have all the keys they need. The guards were not mentioned here. They must have been asleep. The angel and the escaping prisoners didn't wait then. The angel freed the apostles because God had a job for them to do. At daybreak, the apostles were at the temple teaching about Jesus. They didn't run away to hide from the people who had put them in jail. They went back to the scene of the crime, the place where they had been arrested. They were boldly teaching about Jesus. Meanwhile, that morning, the high priest and his associates had called the council together, including the Senate of the Sons of Israel, all the important people. They sent orders to the prison for those troublemakers to be brought to court. The officers they sent came back with the prisoners. Without the prisoners, the guards were still standing guard outside the locked doors of the jail, but the cell was empty. While all the important people in the council and the Senate were wondering about this strange report, someone came in and told them another strange report. The apostles were teaching in the temple again, those troublemakers. The captain of the guard went back to the temple to arrest them again. This time they asked them nicely to go back with them. 
no violence, no major scene, just a civilized action in front of this huge audience. They were afraid of the possibility of starting a riot by being rude to the apostles. The temple guards and the captain of the guards thought they were in danger of being stoned by the congregation. The Bible here doesn't say that they feared God. These men have been performing miracles in the name of God, and these men had been thrown in jail. And even though the jail had been locked and guarded, these men had somehow been released and were standing boldly in the temple, teaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. The guards feared the people being taught, but didn't seem to see the hand of God in all this. They didn't fear God. The apostles were brought back to be interrogated. The high priest reminded them that they had been ordered to not teach or do things in the name of Jesus. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching and intend to bring the, this man's blood upon us. The apostles had been telling everybody that Jesus had been crucified at the orders of the religious leaders and that he was risen from the dead. When Pilate washed his hands in front of the crowd in Matthew 27, verse 24 and 25, he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. The people responded, his blood shall be on us and on our children. In other words, they were saying, kill him and we will take the blame. Here in Acts 5.28, where the Sadducees who had been in that crowd now complaining that the apostles were trying to bring the man's blood on them. Yet in front of Pilate, they had proclaimed that his blood should be on them and their children. It sounds almost like a curse, and yet it could be seen as a blessing. When the angel of death passed over Egypt, killing the firstborn of every family, the Israelites were spared because the blood of a lamb was painted on their doorpost. We are saved from death because the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus, is on us. He died for us and for all who believe in him. The Sadducees saw that the apostles were trying to bring the blood of Jesus on them. In fact, the apostles wanted to bring the blood of Jesus on everyone to wash away our sins. In response to the religious leaders, the apostles said they must obey God rather than men. This is not the first time they have had this conversation with these men. These religious leaders who claim to represent God can't say, no, don't listen to God, do what we say. They don't seem to be aware of the evidence that God really is speaking to these men and through these men. They themselves are deaf to what God would say to them and choose to not see the evidence that is in front of them. The apostles tell them again that they have what they have told them before, that Jesus is at the right hand of his father God and grants repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. The Holy Spirit is given by Jesus to those who obey him. So the apostles talked about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the father God. 
to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. They talked about the Holy Spirit being given to those who obey him. Those were radical words, and the Sadducees wanted to kill them for saying such things. But a Pharisee was there in the council. The Pharisees believed in life after death, so maybe they, that gave him a different perspective. He was Gamaliel. He was well respected by the people as a guest teacher of the law. He ordered the prisoners to be taken out of the room so the council could talk about it. He cautioned the Sadducees to be careful. He talked about rabble-rousers of the past who had led the people toward the rebellion and chaos and who had died in the process. Gamaliel said that if the movement of the apostles was of men, it would be overthrown. Gamaliel had faith in the status quo, or maybe he had faith that God would keep things in order. He went on to say that if this movement were of God, they would not be able to overthrow them and might even be found fighting against God. Gamaliel didn't seem to know what to think about the apostles. He was looking at the big picture. The Sadducees saw the sense of what Gamaliel was saying, so they didn't kill the apostles. They just had them whipped, ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus, and let them go. They didn't seem to be fully aware of the possibility they might be whipping the representatives of God, which means they were in fact fighting against God. Maybe that wasn't their concern. They just didn't want to be found fighting against God. After the beating, the apostles went their way rejoicing. They had the privilege of suffering for Jesus. They kept on teaching about Jesus in the temple and from house to house.